Hey everybody, you're listening to the 10-7 podcast where we get together every fortnight and sometimes more often to talk about technology, business, and the humans in it. I'm your host, Ivan Stegich. My guest today is Rob Haar, who is Vice President of Sparkbox, where he is responsible for the operations and financials of the company. With a background in software development, Rob is always ready to challenge the development process. And on any given day, Rob meets with prospective clients, works with employees, and continues to evolve the business of Sparkbox. Sparkbox is a web design and development studio in Dayton, Ohio, that focuses on long-term partnerships with clients and creating a better web through education. Welcome, Rob. It's a great pleasure to have you on the podcast. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks. Now, I saw your keynote at Manage Digital this year, and you talked a lot about people over project management. Uh, You had that iron triangle of scope timeline and budget up on the screen. I really enjoyed listening to you speak that day. Uh, You kind of touched on all the things I hope my own company is striving towards. But I wanted to hear a little bit about the genesis of that talk um, that you gave. It's obviously something you're passionate about. Yeah. Um, That whole talk came about of looking at all of the things that have kind of become core to things I believe about projects in this industry and how we work with the people and that it's really all about the people. Um, I have this core belief that process and all of these constructs that we've come up with, they're not for projects. They're for people because it's the people that either mark the success or failure for our projects. And uh, it's something I care a lot about. I think we have tons of people out there in this industry talking about how to create better checklists or to do this or make sure this gets done. But a lot of times those conversations leave out the what I think is the most important element, the humans involved. Mm-hmm. And when Lynn um, asked you to do the talk... Um, who came up with the title of the talk? Is the juice worth the squeeze? Was that yours or hers? <laughs> um, that was actually somebody I work with here at Sparkbox. Um, it was Lynn gave me, she said, I want you to come talk. I love the things you talk about. Do whatever you want. Just tell me what it is and like we'd love to have you. And I was like, oh, this is great. Um, so let me work it out. And I started writing about the things I wanted to talk and I wrote up the abstract and there's someone internal here at Sparkbox named Emily, who is our communications director. And she is amazing. And she had this idea of centering the whole talk around what she refers to. And the team refers to around here as horisms, things that I say over and over and over again, that Like when I say them to the team, they know what I'm talking about. And juice worth the squeeze is one of those things. So we decided to take those horisms and sprinkle them throughout the talk, or I did, but she came up with the actual title. She's like, this is the perfect one. This is what you need to call it. I love that title. What are other horisms? People over process. You know, is the juice worth the squeeze? Um, Punt to future self. Um, you know, just things like that, that just reframe the conversation. Living the dream is obviously <laughs> one. Um, yeah, Carl Smith likes that one. 
yeah, I've actually got that over my door. And someone bought a wood type, you know, kind of thing that says living the dream. I've got a shirt that says that. Uh, just things that remind me and are simple ways to communicate like bigger, more complex ideas. The, the thing, and, and this might be a horizon as well, um, the thing that I remember you saying that I've implemented since, uh, since Manage Digital was, um, can we postpone that decision? Do we have to have that um, information? Do we have the information now? Can we put that decision off? Is that a horizon as well? Yeah, totally. Waiting till the last responsible moment to make decisions. You know, I found that so liberating. It's like, oh, I don't know if I should make the decision. I Like, what do we know? What do we don't know? Asking the question, inevitably, the answer becomes, oh, yeah, we can totally postpone that decision. It's freeing. <laughs> it definitely is. Definitely. So you, you said people over process and people over projects. Um, do you have an onboarding process for new employees or new contractors that takes that into account? Yeah, it does. Uh, I think we do. Um, you know, so when we bring somebody in, you know, especially, so I'll talk in the case of a developer, but we do this with pretty much everybody, is we assign them uh, a dev buddy, somebody that they can ask all of the questions that they're afraid to ask anyone else. And, you know, what that does is it kind of removes the, the fear of like, you know, hey, uh, why do we submit time cards this way? Or what do we do here? Or how does this actually work? And I think that's shown really well. But I think the other thing is like we actually provide them a complete agenda for their entire first week when they're here. Um, and I think that really, really helps so that they know what to expect, when to expect it. They sit down. Every single new hire sits down with my business partner, the president of the company, and we, they walk through all of our company values together so that it's really clear that these things are important and they're up front and that you have understanding. You can ask those questions. And I think that like all of those different steps, like we try to think about all of the things we do as designing human experiences mm. because that's what they are. And helping people feel good about something goes a long way into building the transparency and trust that you need when you work with people. And, you know, what humans really want is just to know what's coming and have those expectations met. And there's no better way, in my opinion, to build trust than, than to say, this is what's going to happen. And then making that a reality. Yeah. Yeah. You follow through on your word. That, that's a, it's a big deal. Now, you, you talked about how they sit down with your business partner, um, the president. Mm -hmm. I immediately thought of an office in Ohio at your offices. Are you fully like brick and mortar? Do you, do you have any remote or distributed uh, members of your team? What's your whole philosophy on offices versus distributed work? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so we started out ten and a half years ago, being completely here in Dayton, Ohio. Um, brick and mortar, just we were all sat in the same room together, actually, as I'm sure a lot of us kind of start. Over the years, we've changed that. Um, it kind of got started when one of our employees was came into my office and said, hey, I love my job, but I don't want to live here anymore. And I don't like that reality. 
And I said, well, you've been with us for a couple of years. Where do you want to go? Let's try it. And he came back about a week later and said, I want to move to Milwaukee. And after I got over the fact that he was leaving Dayton to go to Milwaukee, and that felt a little <laughs> weird. Um, I, uh, You're not I a said, Milwaukee okay. fan, Rob? Come on. I had never been before then. It just didn't seem like I was, when I think of places I want to go, Milwaukee just doesn't pop into my brain. <laughs> Nothing wrong with Milwaukee. Milwaukee's fine. Like, but I was thinking, like, oh, someplace warmer, someplace with the beach, the mountains, Bermuda, the, a big yeah, city. the Bahamas, right, right, right. Like, you know, there's all kinds, like, in a world of possibilities that's anywhere, Milwaukee seemed just like a strange choice to me at the time. Yeah. I've been since, and it's lovely. So all the Milwaukee fans out there listening, nothing against Milwaukee. I actually like it quite a bit. Um, so and what I told this individual is that, okay, I'm willing to do this as long as you're okay with it being a trial. Let's experiment. Let's prototype this. Let's make sure it works for both of us. Let's give, at this point in time, let's give both of us the permission to say, hey, this isn't working for us. Can we try something different? Or this isn't working for us. We have to end it. And be okay with that. And we agreed to that. And he became our first remote employee. And that was about five or six years ago. Mm. Um, Since then, we... Now we're a team of about 45 people. We have two offices, one here in Dayton, Ohio, one in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, And we have about 10 full-time remote people kind of sprinkled throughout the country. And the demographic of the remote people, are they mostly developers or do you have all kinds of different skill sets? Uh, All kinds of different skill sets at this point. Um, You know, project managers, developers, designers, our biz dev person actually isn't even here in Ohio. And when you put out a job description and you're hiring someone, is remote an option? Is it required that you visit the office once a year or once a quarter? Or um, or are you flexible about that kind of stuff? Yeah. So when we, we are, when we put a job out there, we are open to remote. Um, we kind of require all new hires to be here in Dayton for their first week um, just to meet everybody, to get faces. Like one of the things that I think remote requires is still personal relationships and you can't replace the being in the same room together part of it, um, at least at some regular intervals. So that's really important. And then for as far as like ongoing, we pretty much have two very intentional get togethers with the entire team a year. That lasts a couple days. One of them's a retreat, and one of them's kind of in first quarter where we kind of kick off the year. Um, Other than that, we do give a lot of latitude to our remote employees to come in frequently if they want, but different people are in different places in their lives. And, you know, flexibility is absolutely core to one of the benefits and who we are as a company. Um, Like, you know, kind of going back a little bit to your question about, like, office culture, like... I never wanted to build a place where I required people to do things, anything. Um, I wanted to build an office and offices now that attract people and make people like more like magnets um, that people want to be in because there's good energy. They want to be around people, but still give people the flexibility to be wherever they want. Um, you know, we have employees, most of our employees here in Dayton, and in Pittsburgh that have a physical office near them, they still work from home two or three days a week. 
that's definitely a benefit I would see is. Now, let's talk about this apprenticeships uh, website that you have that is a subdomain of your main site. And it looks like you have cohorts and they're all versioned. And I would love to know more about what the program is at Sparkbox. Yeah. So we started that, uh, I think, eight years ago now. Um, it kind of came out of a need we had here in Dayton. Um, you know, we needed to be able to have qualified people. And, you know, and we just couldn't hire qualified people who were ready to start the jobs. And I think this kind of led me down a path of thinking that there was a, there's a gap between traditional, even four-year college programs and being a well-qualified beginner ready to be a professional engineer. So I tried to solve that problem the way that, you know, uh, anyone would, I guess. I was like, oh, I can, I can write a curriculum. I can go to my local college and teach this class. And when I approached the local college, they were like, yeah, we're not really interested. You're not, mm. You don't have a master's degree. We're not, you're not qualified. And I got kind of frustrated. But, you know, upon kind of thinking about it once I was back in the office, I kind of had this moment. I'm like, well, why do I need the college to do this? Like, I'm going to join the same slow system that produced what it is today. So I decided that we could run our own apprenticeship. And I took that same curriculum and repurposed it for internal. And I actually went back to that same college and stood outside of senior classes and recruited people and finally got three brave souls to say, yes, we'll come do this. And, you know, it's a paid apprenticeship. Um, How long does it last? Hang out. Uh, six months. Um, January through, you know, the end of June, they come and hang out with us and we pay them. They don't work on client projects. The entire goal is to turn people into really well qualified beginners. And are they typically uh, students who are in their junior or senior year or do you have freshmen? What, what kind of happens after the apprenticeship? So... It started out, every the three that we originally got all had some kind of formal education. Since then, over the years, we've had everything from people who are looking for a career change to people with a two-year art degree to a four-year computer science degree. They're all over the map. And what we're really looking for is people who just want to get into the industry and are hungry and want to do good work. Mm. And do you end up hiring any of them? Because I would... About half. Really? Yeah. Wow, what a wonderful way to onboard a new uh, human into the industry. Like, give them a chance of being um, an apprentice, and then if it works out, they might even have a job there. Yeah, and the other half we've been able to place and find jobs for. Like, I think everybody but one who's been through our apprenticeship program has left with a job in hand. Well, uh, we should talk. Because if you're not hiring, we might be. I, I like. Do you have a list that I could join, or should I talk to you after the show, Rob? <laughs> we could totally talk, and I'm happy. Like these are these are people like, and you know, like these aren't uh, the people. Some of the people we aren't able to hire, they're really good. I, it's just business needs and requirements mm-hmm. and staffing teams and all of that. But I think that like it's been amazing, so amazing that we've been able to add a second apprenticeship. We run a the one we've been running for about eight years, and we have another one that we call the front-end design apprenticeship where we run over the summer 
that's a four-month program that takes that one's a little different because it takes somebody with traditional design education and then teaches them how to turn those designs into code wow and have you open sourced any of the material that you'd use in the apprenticeships or is that uh, currently internal at at sparkbox it's been open source since day one and where would so, someone go to to see those yeah if you go to the apprentices.csparkbox.com, there's a link on there to GitHub. Um, at this point, you know, it's the curriculum is far surpassed what I originally put together. It's way better. Um, and the apprentices themselves actively maintain it with resources and what needs to change and things that they found that were valuable. And, you know, the entire team is very involved with that. Um, one of the things that we say a lot is it takes an entire village to raise an apprentice mm-hmm. and we require all of our people to have like a at least a half hour on their calendar every week where they can do pairing what a wonderful thing to have and and how has that worked out oh it's been awesome i mean like it's kind of led me down to this fundamental belief that you know we can choose to be either a talent producer or a talent consumer in this industry and for a small studio like us, being a talent producer really was the only choice. Um, and I think it has long-lasting effects on just your team because I also believe that we can learn something from everyone and we have something to teach everyone, which means that our people, there's more senior people, are get smarter by teaching. And, you know, they learn something from our apprentices. And we've been doing it long enough where at a retreat last year, you know, I think 25% of our company is former apprentices. Wow. That's, that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty neat. So we had Carl Smith on the show um, a few episodes ago, and we got to talking what was coming up next for the Bureau. And he mentioned Diversity Days, and he yeah. was saying that it was going to be at Sparkbox. And we talked a little bit about that, and I think they were still trying to figure out the curriculum at the time. Tell me more about Diversity Days at Sparkbox. What is it? Um, I think it's coming up in November here. What should, what should the audience know about it? Yeah, so I'm really, really excited about this. Um, like this is a great chance for what I think both the Bureau and Sparkbox to kind of be at the center of a really, really important conversation. Um, and so one of the things that I wanted to make sure, we wanted to make sure that we had is somebody who's qualified to speak about these topics. So day, the first day, the workshop day, we're bringing in a speaker, um, Karen Catlin, who is runs the Better Allies Twitter account and has written the book called Better Allies, is coming in to share about building inclusive environments and how to do that well. And I think that is going to set a great foundation for a group of people that will attend the event. Um, the second day, we're doing a leadership forum where we're getting trying to get a bunch of the people who you know, run studios or build teams or work, maybe even work in-house, but are responsible for hiring and culture things and building those teams to get together and to talk about what things we can apply from day one back at our organizations to help make a difference in this industry. It sounds like a very much needed conference um, and session, set of sessions. Uh, do you know offhand what the dates are? We'll, we'll publish that on the transcript as well. It is November 13th and 14th. 
and that'll be at Spark at Sparkbox in Ohio. Yeah, in Dayton. In Dayton. Um, yeah. Anybody who wants to come see us, please, please come see us. Like, you know, I mean, even if you don't come for Digital Diversity Day, stop by. We have plenty of office space, lots of internet. Come hang out with us. We love visitors. I, I love the friendly disposition you have and how inviting you are. And it doesn't just um, extend to clients and partners and current team members. It it also extends to Sparkbox alums. When when you gave your keynote at Manage Digital, I was really impressed with how you talked about um, kind of the wider Sparkbox community, not just the people that are working there right now, but people who have worked and humans who have been with you in the past. Um, what's your philosophy around that? And, and, and how do you get those people together if you do? I got into this for the humans, and I believe that we have to treat them well. I think that the, your former employees are the ones that actually control your reputation. Mm. And, you know, I want to make sure that everybody leaves well and things end well for people. I think so much of how people view um, the like a relationship, and that's really what employment is, is defined by how it ends. And you know, a perfectly good, you know, um, even successful relationship, if it ends poorly, can can feel horrible and can color the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And that's not at all what I want to do. I I think that what we look for is for people who. You know, during at least a season, because there are seasons for all things, where our seasons line up and that we can kick a bunch of butt together on projects. And that season will probably end, and that's okay. And I think that's really healthy to kind of think about life that way, that, hey, you know, our goals lined up and we did a bunch of great work together, and now our goals don't, we're going to go our own ways. That doesn't remove you, that person, that alum from our story. It doesn't take, you know, us out of their story. Like, there's a lot of good stuff that happened and why not respect that by like throwing a party on the way out. Um, and I think the other part that just is so fundamental is I can't talk about caring for humans the way that I do and believe what I believe and then only live that when it benefits me mm-hmm. when they're employees. Mm. And I think that's, that's like fundamental if you really care about the people, then it has to transcend like when it m- makes sense, when, it, when, it, when, it's a, when it's convenient. So, like, I mean, I invite people to come in and talk to me about what they want to do next. And I've written, written letters of recommendation to help people find new jobs when they're current employees. Like, that's, you know, that's all good stuff. And, like, sometimes people grow. Well, all the times we hope people grow. (laughs) Like that should be a common thing that we want out of people. And like, you know, our alums are like, they're part of our story. And like, I, like we still, I still talk to them. Like there is like, if I end up in a city where there's a Sparkbox alumni and I haven't seen them in a while, seen that person in a while, like doing dinner or taking them out or just saying thank you is totally commonplace. Why do you call your company a studio? It's a, it's a subtle distinction from being an agency or a firm or a dev shop. Um, I think there's, you know, I think it's worth explaining and exploring. Yeah. 
I hate the word agency. Yeah, I do too. It, <laughs> it makes me feel like, think of like Don Draper. Yeah. Um, with like the brown liquor sitting in his office, mm-hmm. you know, smoking and like the whole power dynamic that comes with that. And I think that word agency has been overloaded a lot and doesn't make clients think of partnership. They have, it thinks of like, Hey, we're going to throw some work over the wall and it's going to come back and you're going to be our agency, agency of record. Like it's everywhere. Um, so I like the word studio because I think it speaks better to the creative problem solving work that we want to do in partnership with our clients. And it invokes the right feeling of that. I like it too. And and one of the positions that you have in your organization is called director of humans. What's mm-hmm. the, what's that about? How did how did that come to be? Yeah, I that was somebody that was a role that I had identified that we needed several years ago. Actually, I'm looking at it right now. I've got it framed on my desk. I've got a list of about 5 years ago of all the, you know, positions internally that I wrote down that I thought we would need as we grow. We grew and you know, one of them was director of humans and that's it's, I don't, it's kind of, part of that job is definitely an HR function. But I think the when we talk about human resources, uh, the, the other word that really bothers me is resources. resources. I hate it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the reason being is because resources is a manufacturing word of something we use up and then discard. And that's expendable, and that's, right? It goes away, right. right? And that's no way to talk about humans. Absolutely in my not. Opinion. Agreed. So... Once I decided that HR was out because of that word resources, can't stand it, we had to come up with something different, something that a position that we could have that partnered with our employees to help make sure they were getting the care and feeding and direction they needed and a place to go where they could, you know, have all those things fulfilled for them with that. And, you know, director of humans, because we kind of have like a director level at our company, kind of made a lot of sense at the time. I love it. I love it. That's, that's awesome. Before we wrap up, I really would like to find out about the origin story of Sparkbox. What was Rob Hard doing just before Sparkbox, and how did Sparkbox come into be? Okay. Uh, I'll try to keep it brief. Oh, don't. Yeah. Give me the real deal. No brief. Okay. We're good. Yeah. So I started my career as a software engineer. Uh, early 2000s, worked professionally at a lot of big enterprises um, for years. Loved my job. Oh, mm. did I ever love doing architecture. And, like, I fell in love with the people side of software problems really, really early. Um, and got to do that and loved it. Uh, eventually was kind of moved into more of a consulting role. Um, worked for a the largest reseller of banking software in the world as a consultant. Um, traveled about 70% of the time for almost two years. And that's what I was doing right before the company got started. Um, my business partner, Ben, who I love dearly, um, is somebody who was running a small studio called Design District at the time. And... You know, Ben kind of came into my life from my dad. My dad is, you know, worked, works in the industry as a software engineer. Um, Ben's first job out of college, Ben's a couple years older than I, older than I am, was working for my dad. So 
when Ben was looking to find someone to work with on the software side of um, this new business, he called my dad. And my dad called me and said, you know, basically, you know, said like, hey, are you interested in this? And then told Ben, like, I'm too old to do any of that stuff anymore. But my son, do you remember Rob? And so we had breakfast at, you know, 6 a.m. one morning and, you know, we started working together. And, you know, I've said this many times, but professionally, I'm more of a back-end developer. Ben's more of a front-end developer, but professionally, he completed me. Like, I never had more fun working with somebody. Aw, that's awesome. And, like, you know, and we have so many similarities, and we're such, we're good friends, and we've been doing this for ten and a half years together now. Um, you know, but, it, like, we think differently, but have a set of common beliefs about all this stuff. I am definitely a, you know, how person. I'm a number two. He is the visionary. He is the CEO role. He is the idealist among us. And he's very inspirational. I'm a little bit more tactical with all of this stuff. Like, hey, how are we going to figure this out? And that's how I ended up in the operations and the finances and kind of running the day-to-day part of this business. Um, But, you know, so I was actually hired by Ben and at a small company called Forge that was design, branding, web, marketing. Basically, if you gave us money, we would do it. I ended up being the first employee of that company. Of, and there was four other business partners. And we ran that way for about two years and just could not, you know, really make a dent because, you know, you're, when you do all of those services, nobody sees you as a specialist in any of them. And it just did not sell outside of the, the Dayton area. Um, at that point, we decided to kind of niche down. And Ben and I took and created Sparkbox out of that. And, you know, that part of the business absolutely took off. Um, once we, you know, claimed to, once we started just doing software, web software projects, that side of the business just continued to grow and grow and grow and turned into, you know, a team of, what, 45 people today, soon to be probably 50. We're looking to hire a couple. Um, if you're looking for a job, you know, you know see sparkbox.com. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, small plug. Small plug. But, it's you know, all good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, and that kind of turned into one thing led to another. Um, you know, I, I am so thankful for, you know, all of the wonderful opportunity that Sparkbox has allowed for me. Um, and, you know, it's taken care. We started this all with the idea that we wanted to take care of our families. And we've extended that to wanting to take care of all of the families of all the people that work with us. That's really, really important to me. And, you know, that's really important to Ben. And, you know, I like I couldn't do this without him. And I think there's like a mutual codependence that's really healthy between the two of us. At this point, we're just kind of doing life together. What 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 would you say is the special specialization the niche that Sparkbox has um, that you, is maybe your competitive advantage over other other studios yeah. and agencies? I think it's twofold. One, um, when we talk about web software, we hire and work with a bunch of people that come out of a computer science background and actual software specialization that allows us to work on really complicated systems at big enterprise. And while not always doing back-end services, we can work with those teams and they like us. 
and we understand the security implications and how to build complicated things and web products and apps. The second thing is something that kind of came out of the apprenticeship stuff and all of these other pieces is we build teams both internally and for our clients. And it's not uncommon for us to write job descriptions and help our clients hire teams and mentor those teams and to replace what Sparkbox is doing for them and you know, make them self-sufficient. I love that idea of empowering your clients. Yeah, we have to. I mean, it's, if we say we can't use the word partnership if we're not trying to you know, leave them better off than we found them. And I think that goes back to the agency idea, agency versus studio. An agency, like at least in my experience, an agency's main job is to stay an agency, to stay the agency of record. A partner is looking out for what's best for that client to help them get to where they need to be. And even if that's, you know, sunsetting it, like we've got a long history of sunsetting with projects and clients that they don't need us anymore. So we, you know, help them hire and build a team and say, hey, like, good luck. And we're here if you need us, but we think you're off in a good direction. That's the... um the note of a real partner where you're mindful of what the client's needs are instead of remaining the agency of record. Yeah. Yeah. One final question. Uh, we talked about where Rob was before Sparkbox and how you, and the origin story behind it. Um, I know you went to Wright State University in Ohio. Did you grow yep. up in Ohio? Is that where you're from? Or uh, do you have another story of where Ohio was a destination because of a girl or something like that? No, uh, I was born in Nashville, Tennessee, because my dad got out of the Army, and Tennessee was the only state on, I believe, in the, on the east, east of the Mississippi where you could collect both unemployment and the GI Bill at the same time. Wow. So he ended up in Tennessee where he met my mom. I was born on, like, in Nashville, but he was still at college getting finishing up computer science at Austin P University, um, you know, so that probably makes me one of the first second generation software engineers uh yeah. and then we moved a lot as a little kid as he kind of started his career from you know nashville to indiana to michigan where my brother was born and then eventually to dayton ohio um in the mid 80s so i definitely grew up in ohio like you know we moved a little bit as a little kid Well, it's been a great pleasure speaking with you today, Rob. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks. It's been an absolute fun, absolute blast. Thank you. Rob Haar is co-founder and vice president at Sparkbox, and you can find them online at csparkbox.com. You can find Rob online at robhaar.com. That's Haar with two R's. And he's also Robert Haar on Twitter. You've been listening to the 107 podcast. Find us online at 107.com slash podcast. And if you have a second, do send us a message. We love hearing from you. Our email address is podcast at 107.com. Until next time, this is Ivan Stegich. Thank you for listening. <laughs>